God, uh, we thank you so much for the confidence of the gospel that uh, whether we live today down here or whether we die and go and to be with you, that we are secure because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, I thank you for Mary's life. I thank you for her testimony that she'd been changed by you and that she lived for you. Um, God, I think of less, and I ask that you would overwhelm him uh, with your love and care for him today. I pray that you would give him grace and the overwhelming grace that he knows he can make it because you have made it true in his heart. God, I ask that you mobilize this church uh, to rise up and to bless him in the weeks to come. To uh, ask that you would use us as your hands, as part of your body in his life. And uh, we thank you for a good celebration of her life this week. God, I thank you for uh, the young men and even some of the young women that have served, uh, are serving our military right now from this church. And I ask that you would uh, continue to bless them. I think it's especially of Brennan as he's over in, um, in Afghanistan. And I ask your protection of him, that you would uh, cause him to be boldly sharing his faith, that you would not allow him to... Um, think of the things he doesn't have, but think of what he has in you, uh, and that you would give him a strong testimony, keep him pure, and as well as the rest of them, that you would cause them to walk faithfully with you, uh, knowing that you are um, with them wherever they go. God, thank you for your church. We ask that you would bless us today. We know we're unworthy of it, but we're grateful to uh, be a part of your body. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple other things I wanted to point out. Um, uh, did anybody notice that the pews are clean? Yeah, yeah. they're beautifully clean. Uh, one of the ladies said they're clean pews for dirty people. Um, and uh, that's the reality, isn't it? That we come in here and that it's not that we're dirty from week to week, more, but that uh, we are not perfect people, but we come here uh, seeking to rejoice and to be centered once again on what God has to say and not our own lives. The other thing I wanted to alert you about, and you can pray for me about, this next Wednesday, um, I have the opportunity of preaching at the chapel at the Master's College. Um, you could even come and go if you wanted to uh, go down there with us. I don't know what time chapel is, but I'm sure I'll figure it out before uh, Wednesday this week. And if you want to remember me in prayer, I'd appreciate that. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you the first half of the chapter. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God, please honor your word in us as we look at it now. Please guide our minds and change change us from the inside out. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to have this change process helping in a, uh, changing us. We realize that we have a lot of work, um, and yet our s- salvation is secure in Jesus. We thank you for this, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you were here last week, we talked about uh, putting to death the old life. Uh, we talked about specifically sexual immorality and how that is meant to be put to death. It's not meant to be carried around. And I want to remind you, just to, as we get, get into this passage this morning, that Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he saved us from our sins. He saved us from them. He called us out of them. Uh, remember in this passage, we've looked at that being dead in our sins, that that was a dead sort of life we were living. And because it was dead and because we could do nothing, he made us alive with Christ because of what Christ had done. And so he calls us to take that old life and he says, put to death the stuff from the dead life and remove it and and push it out of our lives. And I want to remind us as we begin this morning that we don't just continue on in sin as a believer in Jesus Christ. That He saved us to be changed and to be out of that sin. Uh, if, if If you could think about this, you could think about you were lost in your sins, and maybe there was a particular sin that you were lost in. Maybe it was some kind of sexual immorality, and, and you think, He saved you from that. And so He brought you out of that. You don't continue in your immorality. 
There's not a sense of, I, I continue to be a sexually immoral person, just a Christian sexually immoral person. You realize how that sounds weird, right? Maybe it is uh, for you, you think of the way you used to talk and the things that you used to say. and uh, You were a cussing, swearing, just... Pro- profane person and and you, you got saved and so now you're a cussing swearing christian that doesn't sound right does it because it's not right and i'm not trying to guilt you into that i'm saying that that's what he saved us from and that we are what we're looking at even this morning is we're to leave behind maybe it was something else maybe uh you were into the drug culture and you were a big pot smoker and, and that was the way you got through the day and that's what you used. And so now you're just a pot smoking Christian. Doesn't sound right, does it? Because he saved us from that. He saved us from that. And he brought us and he has placed us. And so now is the hard work of, of coming together and taking a good look at our lives and saying, what needs to change? What needs to be different? This morning, as we look at our passage, we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to, God willing, we'll get down through verse 11. I want to tell you that the picture here, most likely, um, is one of laundry, one of laundry. How's the laundry looking at your house right now? Does it sometimes pile up a little bit? Uh, If you think about laundry, there's a sense in which um, you don't take off the clean clothes and put on the dirty ones, right? It's backwards, right? You take off the dirty clothes and you put on the clean ones. And that's the the picture here in this passage is one of taking off or getting rid of and adding to or putting on to our in, into our lives. And so maybe that would be helpful for you to picture this morning as we look at this passage. Before we really get rolling, let me ask you a question. Uh when you have you've been out working and you have some filthy clothes, you've worked hard, you're physical, and you you've sweated, and maybe there's a sense of the work you you've done has has gotten you dirty, and you take those clothes off. How, what do you do with them? What do you do with them? Throw. I like that word. Throw. Throw. Uh, unless you're really weird, and I think there was someone in the first service because family members were looking at them. But unless you're really weird, there's not a sense of folding and placing gently your filthy clothes. There's not a sense of you going, oh, uh, you know, I've just been out working in the garden and this shirt is just filled with sweat and dirt. I'm just going to fold that up nicely and place it on the counter. There's a sense of throw it on the floor. And then you're like, ew, pick it up. Throw it in the hamper. Or, ew, that one's even worse. Leave it out in the garage. (laughs) Many a day I was told, don't come in the house. Um, What do you mean by that? Is this a permanent state? You know. (laughs) And and there's a sense of, it's too filthy. You've got to leave it behind. And that's the picture this morning. If we look at the sin that, that... 
has has marked our life and really was the practice on which we live. He says, I want you to leave that behind. It's important that you do so. These are the practices that marked our life. These are the things that we indulged in. This is the way we live life apart from Christ. And if you can think about that, how have you lived your life apart from Christ? What are the ways that you have dealt with life? What are the things that got you by? And he says, I want you to leave them behind. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Anger. Uh, the first word, this is a list of five. And I, I, before we get into this list, I want to tell you that I don't believe that this is a cumulative list, right? You realize that there are other things that that was sinned to you. There are other ways in which you sin. In fact, we could probably make a pretty substantial list just in the folks we have here, right? Of things that, sins that kept you going, the things, the, the way you lived your life, uh, we could make a list of sins in addition to this list. But I believe that this is a sampling of things that he calls us to leave behind. The first one's anger. An inward hatred of someone or something. An inward hatred. I think the first two words, one is inward, the the second one is outward. First of all, inward, the inward anger that we have. And, And most of this is justified in our own minds. I am angry about something that has happened. Something has gone wrong. Someone or something has has brought about a circumstance that I'm angry inside and bitter and it makes me boil inside. You see, as I, I think about these things and I think about what it is to be angry inside, few of us, few of us, especially apart from Christ, say, I'm angry inside and it's not right. In fact, we say the complete opposite, don't we? I'm angry inside. There's something that that just bothers me. And it's right for me to feel this way. Apart from Christ, we said, I'm angry that someone did this to me. And they did it to me 10 years ago. And I'm still angry about it because it was wrong. There's a sense of justice to our anger. If they wouldn't have been so stupid, if they wouldn't have been so unkind, if they wouldn't have been so selfish then I wouldn't be holding this anger inside. But since they were, I'm justified in being angry. He says, let it go. Not just let it go, but put it away. Not just put it away, but take it off. Throw it off, the anger that's inside of you. Get rid of it. You say, whoa. But you you missed that whole point, Kevin, that it was justified they did something wrong. And, and I, I can't get rid of it because it's still not right. It's still not right. And he says, put it away. And I think, how can we put it away if it's still wrong? And, and it's real simple. Do you understand why? Because you're, you're a possession of Jesus right now. You've been saved from that. You see, that's the way we live apart from Christ. We get angry, right? 
we're, we're justified and that's a way of protecting ourselves. And, and there's a sense in which that's, you know, the, the, the food that gets us through the day is our own anger because we say, well, it wasn't right and I, I'm justified in feeling that way. And so I have to protect myself. And he says, let it go. Let it go. Put it away. And you say, how can I do that? Real simply. You no longer are alone. You now have Jesus. You've been saved from your anger. You don't have to go justify this sin or that sin. and You don't have to go figure out who did what to you and hold on to that. Why? Because Jesus has covered it. He has set you free. He's given you a new life. And so anger, he lists anger there. And some of you are going, ooh, that sounds big. It is big, but put it in perspective with the gospel. That Jesus has taken care of you. He, he set you free from your past. From things that you've done and things that have been done to you. He's taking care of that. That inward stuff that you've been holding and bottling up, ready to blow. Let it go. Because you've been taken care of by Jesus. Second uh, point he brings up, or in his list, he says this. He says, uh, anger, wrath, wrath. The idea of outburst of quick temper. I I think this is uh, the difference between having something inward and lashing out, lashing out, whether it be physically or even with words. We're going to get to words in a minute, but it's the idea of of putting people in their place, of protecting yourself from injustice. And, and, and kind of, if you get this picture, some of us, as we think about living life, we, we shake our fists and we say, nobody's ever going to take advantage of me. And so we give off, whether it be through our words or even physically, don't mess with me or it will be uncomfortable for you. And so we have these explosions of wrath that go on. And why? Why is that part of uh, living without Christ? Real simply, if you don't have a Savior, if you don't have a God protecting you, you have to protect yourself. And what's the best way to protect yourself? Have everyone around fear you. Have them kind of tiptoe around you. And a sense of like, I, you know, I'm a little touchy and outbursts are going to come. So you must fear me because I need to take care of myself. He says, let it go. Let it go. These outbursts of temper, uh, these, this wrath that you have, he says, no longer. That's part of the old life. And you say, well, that doesn't seem like a good way to do business. Won't, won't you be taken advantage of? Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll be taken advantage of. But who cares? Who cares? You say, well, that, that seems like people will take advantage of you and they'll walk all over you. Who cares? You have a Savior. You have the God of the universe who can protect you. You don't have to be in this self-protection mode of lashing out. and Remember that next time you mess with me. You don't have to have that. Why? Because you've been saved from that. You've been saved from that. We move on. Uh, He uses the word malice. And I really 
you know, as I think about this, I I think he's using it kind of as a a general bucket term for all kinds of wickedness, uh, all kinds of different sinful wickedness. And and you think once again, uh, in our context, he brings up earthly thinking, earthly thinking. And if you think about swimming in the world and, and being in that stream and which way does that stream go? It goes that way. And so when I'm wicked, I'm just doing things that everybody else is doing. And it's the way this world works. And he says, put it away. Why? Because you don't live that way anymore. He saved you from that stream. He, he saved you from that earthly thinking. And so he says, get rid of it. Put it off. Put it off. Fourthly, he says this, slander. The idea here is the idea of to speak ill of someone and the idea of really slicing somebody up with your words, of, of going on the attack and being willing to, to chop someone up into bits, whether you know them or not to be able to slander, to bring them down. This is nearing an art form in our culture today, right? We get really impressed when someone can be really witty and and slice somebody up. We uh, practice on our own, in our minds sometimes as we do this. I want to... Reveal how this got into the list and probably put it in context again. One of the words that keeps coming up uh, and really the backdrop of Colossians is the idea is that we have a creator. And we're going to get there in this passage going back to our creator as well. And sometimes we think that uh, we can connect if people do something that we think is stupid or if they're wrong in some way that we have license to slice them up. We have license to be able to attack them and bring them down with our words. How does that fit into having a creator? I, I want you to get this. It may be a very subtle point, but I think it's an important one. Why should we not be about tearing people up with our words, believer or unbeliever, smart or stupid? Why? Well, it's because they have a creator. Because as we attack and we chop people up with our words, we realize that we are chopping up the very creation of the one we say we are following after. And more importantly, the one that saved us from this. And so he says, slander, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Toss it off. Number five in this list, and once again, as I... As I said, um, I don't believe this is all the sins that we could and should be putting away. But some of them, uh, he says, an an obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene talk from your mouth. Some of us, uh, apart from Christ, it was our way of identifying our toughness and identifying us as someone important is that we could uh, say things and both in word and and discussion topics that were just filthy. And because that's the way it happens in the world today, right? That's the way things go about. You know, there's a, there's a lie out there that says, uh, 
Hey, everybody does this. Everybody does this. Um, I grew up uh, in, my dad's in construction, and I began to work for him very young, very young. And so uh, junior high, high school, I'd go on the job site, and I was around construction workers. And everybody knows, right? Everybody knows what construction workers are. Um, and it was interesting for me to see a few examples a few examples of Christian men who worked in construction that weren't a part of that. You know why? Because they'd been saved from that. They'd been saved from that. And they had put off those, those things that other people were drowning in because they had not come to know Him. Once again, I want to ask you, how, how do you... With what kind of care should we take these things off from our life? How, how should we remove them? Just get rid of them. Don't dress them up. Don't, don't think, you know, I, I've spent a lot of good time in these clothes. They're, they're kind of, I'm fond of them. It's the habit. I, I feel very comfortable in them. They stink. They stink. So get rid of them. They're what Christ saved us from. They're what Christ saved us from. So we're called to take them off. <clears throat> I think he gives us an example as we go on in verse 9. But I want, I want to get you uh, to think about this because it's very important, I think, in our own process of our heart of moving from the old life to the new life. I want you to think about uh, just physically if all your sins were clothing and you, and you took them off and you, and you threw them away. And some of us get the picture of Christianity, of following after Jesus as another list again. You know, I've come to know Christ, so I can't, uh, I, can't, I, I can't talk like I used to talk. I can't be with the same friends. I can't do this. I can't do that. These are what mark the old life, so I can't do these things. And that's all. So it becomes a list of things that we can't do anymore. And that He leaves us empty. He doesn't put us in a vacuum where He says, you cannot do anything anymore. But the picture here, an important one, is that He calls us to take off, but He also calls us to put on. And sometimes we struggle. We struggle with just trying to take off without trying to put on. Other times we try to put on without taking off. Okay? Take off, put on. That's the process of spiritual growth to become what, what God has saved us for. He gives us an example in verse 9. He says, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Uh, why do people lie? Why do people lie? Think about that right now. Have you ever been lied to? Have you ever been lied to? Teachers, bosses, youth pastors, parents, have you ever been lied to? Yeah, we've been lied to. Why do people lie? Why do they lie? There's some kind of cover-up going on, right? There's some type of like, it's a pragmatic, if I tell the truth, they'll know the truth and that won't be good for me, so I should lie to cover that up. It somehow is going to be better 
and it's going to make me look better if I lie. Do you do your homework? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure, sure, yeah. It's a cover-up. And, and why should we cover up? Why should we cover up? Because if someone finds out the truth, I'll look bad. Why does he tell us not to lie anymore? Um, because that's the way the old way worked, right? Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, I lied because I was afraid someone was going to know the truth and I have to cover myself. Has anyone ever heard um, that church is filled with hypocrites? Have you ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you've, you've heard about that before. Yeah, now you know it's true, right? On the inside, you know it's true. And why don't we have to be hypocrites? Hypocrites are uh, uh, a form of lying. Why? Why? Because we've been covered by the gospel. It should be no shock to us inside here that we're sinners. The word's already out. Our dirty secret has been told. The scripture tells us that we're capable and bent toward every kind of sin apart from Jesus. And so that the idea of going, I'm perfect. Doing great. Got a clean shirt on, you know. The word's already out. There's no need for lying anymore. Why? Because we are not covered by our greatness, by us being perfect, covered by Jesus. And so he says to them, he says, do not lie. He also talks about specifically about lying. Why? Why not lie? Uh, seeing that you have put off the old self. That's part of the old world, right? That's part of the old you. The old you, Christ saved you from yourself. In fact, um, you know, he, he, when he says the old self, you say, oh yeah, that's that pragmatic, do anything to make it work, self-preserving, Oh yeah, it's part of idolatry. Oh yeah, the old self, part of the going to hell old self, dead in my sins old self. <laughs> oh, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And he says, you know what? Those were the practices. Put off the old self with its practices. You know, that was the way life worked <laughs> apart from Christ. He says, do not lie. Don't practice that. Don't go back to that old life from which he saved you. He goes on in verse 10 and he says, and have put on the new self. Well, what's the new self like? Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. See, it's being renewed. It's, it's the idea of us being made new on the inside it's the idea of us based upon true knowledge or the one that called us. He's, he's growing us. He's fitting us. He's changing us through the knowledge of Him. And what are we to look like in this new self? What is it that we look like? Read it there. The image of the Creator. Do you get that? Isn't that, isn't that great? What was the, the old self? 
It was lost in the practices, the earthly people, and we we uh, were just like everybody else. And what was everybody else? Everybody else was an uh, object of His wrath. And we too, because of our own sins, were the object of God's wrath. What has changed? Now we're being renewed, made new in the image of our Creator. We're becoming like Him. That we look to Him now as our model. And He's the one that we are to look like not the rest that are perishing. See, this is the picture of putting off and putting on. When he says the knowledge of its creator, uh, it's maybe once again, maybe a stretch, but I want, want you to uh, picture who are we in the model of when we lived apart from Christ? If you look to the book of Romans, it develops this quite extensively. But really, the one that we are connected to and looked just like was our father, our father, Adam. We looked just like him. And what did he look like? He was the, the first sinner, right? He was the first sinner. And, and in so doing, uh, you know, that's famous, right? But in so doing, we followed in that line. We were just like our father, we were connected to him. And he says, you're not connected to Adam anymore. You're being renewed. You're being made not like Adam in his failure, but like your creator in his perfection. That's what I've saved you for. That's what you're to put on. Well, verse 11 really brings us to what's going to happen. What's the result the reality that we now live in. It's interesting. It says here, um, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There's some pairs here. First of all, he says Greek and Jew, Greek and Jew. Between being a Greek or being a Jew, which one's better? You can't figure this out? The Jews better. Why? God's chosen people. And so the Jews, as they referred to the non-Jews, and specifically the Greeks, that was kind of the thing, they said, we're God's chosen people. I don't care how smart you are. You can't top that. There was a sense of uh, being Greek less than being a Jew. You're less than. And so you, you might be a Jew and you might say, well, that's good for me if you're not a Jew. And part of the, you know, like, that's not so good for me. I'm a second class citizen. He goes on in his list here. He says, uh, Greek or Jew, there was a distinction there. There was a difference there. He says, circumcised or uncircumcised. Even within the Jews themselves or God's people, there was a mark. And that mark separated. And they said, well, have you been circumcised? Well, no. Second class. Second class. You don't cut it. Uh, you know, there's a sense of pride. Uh, I came from the right family. And we, we took care of that. And that's the way we were marked. We we're gods. We we're gods. We we're his possession. We we're different. Second class citizen. He goes on and he says, barbarian or Scythian. And for me, to be honest with you, I had to study this and figure it out. But uh, is it very interesting because the term barbarian was a group of people 
that the Greeks referred to as non-Greeks. You, you, you want to get this here. Okay, so the, the Jews looked at the Greeks and said, you're second-class citizens. You, you, don't, you, you don't match up to us. We're way better than you because we're God's chosen people. The Greeks looked at everyone that was a non-Greek beyond that. They said, ah, barbarian. And the word is the idea that, that they reflected in their language and their sophistication that it was the onomatopoetic word that kind of described how they looked at their language and the idea of being bar, 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 bar. That's the way you talk, you know, real sophisticated. You're like a little kid going bar, 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 you know. That's who you are. You're unsophisticated. I, when I think of uh, this type of thing, I think of one of our missionaries, Ray Gonzalez. He told a story. He was uh, with Wycliffe, and they were translating a Bible into a, a, a language in former Soviet Union. And uh, he was working amongst these people, and he was staying in a place, in an apartment, and they had a common uh, sandbox. And so his young boy was in the sandbox playing, and it was one of these kids from the neighborhood was playing in there with them. They were young. They were like three, four, five, that area. And this this kid starts talking into him, either Russian or the, the Chuvash language that they were working in. And, it, and Ray's kid looks at him and goes... Blah, 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 blah. He didn't understand what he was saying, and he was going, I'm obviously better than you because I know English. Blah, 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 blah. You know. That's what they were saying, and they said, there's a group here, there's a group here of barbarians. They, they just, unsophisticated. But wait, it says barbarian and Scythian. Who are they? Who are they? Well, they're a group of people amongst those who would have been called barbarians that were really considered the the idea the 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 perfect example of unsophistication like the most barbaric people out of all those and he says if you're a barbarian but a scythian do you get it the lowest of the low and and you get this food chain going on here do you get this? Where do you fit? He goes on, and the last one he says is slave and free. Slave and free. Would that have made a difference to you if you were a slave or a free man? Would it have made a difference to you? Would you see people differently? Would you, as you looked and you'd say, well, I'm free. Oh, they're a slave over there. Or if you're a slave, go, yeah, I'm a slave, but they're free. It would have made a difference, wouldn't it? It would have caused you pause and and grouped you up with a group of people. And you would have thought in your mind, am I better than them or am I lower than them, right? Where do I fit in the food chain? How does this all come together? I'll tell you how it comes together. As Christ does His work in us, and as He works in our life and He he removes us and fits us in a new way with the new self. I'll tell you how it works out. It's the end of verse 11. But Christ is all in it all. You get that? I, I title this the ruling distinction. The ruling distinction. What identifies a person most? 
What is the thing that marks them and not just marks them, but connects them with other people? You know, it'd be very easy to be in a culture and where they're slaves and free. And you say, well, I'm free, so I hang out with the free people. I'm a business owner. I am someone of means and I, I can take care of myself. I'm financially savvy. And so I hang out with other people like that. Or for the slave to say, you know what, I, I only hang out with people that are slaves because I'm not, uh, a, I can't go in those circles. I'm not the same as them. But if you look at this passage, and it goes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says this, he says, Christ is all. He is the only one that matters. He's the uniting one, the most important And in us, in us, the thing that matters most is that Christ is in us. A couple of things I want to guard your heart against as you look at verse 11. Some of us look at verse 11 and we say Christ is all and we get some Buddhist picture of Christ. That says that, you know, Christ is in the trees, Christ is in the pew, Christ is in the floor, Christ is in my kids, Christ, you know, Christ is everything all the time, just he's out there, okay? And there's no real physical distinction of who he is. That's not what this is saying. The second thing, it says Christ is in all. Some of us get the picture that there is, that everyone is saved, that everyone is a Christian, everyone is a believer even if they haven't believed. That doesn't make sense. The point here is a beautiful one. That there may be a distinction based on your skin color, based on your economics, based on the place where you have come from, the place where you're going, the job that you have. There may be all kinds of distinctions, but none of them matter apart from Christ. None of them. Um, What's interesting, it's not that we're not that. uh, I'm German. Um, I don't change from being German once I get saved. Some people would wish I would. But that doesn't change me. It doesn't change how much money I have or where I've been educated or any of the placement this world places on me, that's still there. But what it is, it's just not all that important. Once Christ enters our life, we are joined and united because because of something greater, much greater. It's the person of Jesus Christ. This is exciting stuff as we get to plow through God's Word and to to glean what we can um, Please pray with me that we would be able to retain and be changed. God, thank you for this time. God, we realize there's much going on in our own hearts and much needs, much progress needs to be made. God, I ask that you grant us the strength and mercy and grace to deal with these issues in our lives, that we would not cling to them and say, I'm just so comfortable being who I am, but that we would be able to see that this is what you have saved us from. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the unity and identity you give us in Christ. May we cling to that as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I trust that you'll have an awesome week. You are dismissed.